0: Listener
1: Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. Tom Tilly with you, joined by Katrina Blaus. Hey, Katrina.
0: Hey, and you know how when you meet people, sometimes there's an instant click. They make you laugh. You you feel like you've known them forever. You can mm. talk for ages. You just feel like they get you. And then there are other people, and it's so hard to describe it. It's like this gut feeling of ick. They just rub you up the wrong way right from the start.
1: Yeah, well, in this episode, we're going to look at the social science around this, uh, a new theory from an Australian academic that we each have a particular connection type, which goes a big way to determining whether we click or clash with someone.
2: We have the same types of clicks and the same types of clashes, so instant, intuitive and intimate. So you can have an instant click or clash an intuitive click or clash or an intimate click or clash.
0: So that is Australian social scientist, Dr. Ali Walker, and she's gonna be talking all about her new book, which is called Click or Clash. She reckons that understanding how we connect will change the game when it comes to showing up in our relationships, our friendships, even at work. Uh, this theory is so fascinating, Tom and I were just chewing her ear off about it, that we've broken it up into two parts and we'll play part one today.
1: Yeah, I think you will definitely learn something about yourself by listening to this conversation. It's so interesting. <laughs> um, that is later in the show. First, here are today's headlines. It's Monday, February twenty.
0: Two Australians are feared dead after a plane went down in the Philippines. The South Australian engineers were on board the small aircraft when it crashed near an active volcano crater on Saturday.
1: Yeah, and the death toll from last week's Cyclone Gabriel in New Zealand's North Island has risen to 11, with more than 6,000 people still unaccounted for and 28,000 homes still without power.
0: Meanwhile, in Turkey, search and rescue operations in most provinces are ending today, despite two more survivors being pulled from the rubble over the weekend. This was just extraordinary. So 13 days after the quake, uh, they heard a voice. It was a man. He was under the rubble with his wife and their son. The three of them were still alive. Sadly, their son died in hospital a bit later on. Uh, The death toll is now more than 46%.
1: Wow, what a devastating disaster. It must be hard for families with people um, who've who've lost people to hear that the rescue effort's ending, especially when they've still been pulling out survivors. I do remember the first time we reported on this, we were talking about a few hundred deaths and there were fears for many more. And look at that. Look at that tally now. That is just devastating. And in the cricket, it's been an absolute bloodbath in India. Australia getting smashed in the second test by six wickets. They actually had a lead of 86 before a spectacular batting collapse, losing eight wickets for 28 runs to be all out for 113. The captain, Pat Cummins admitted that this loss was even more painful than their drubbing in the first test. I think both disappointing. I think, you know, this one in particular being, um, you know, probably ahead of the game um, for, for a lot of it. That, those opportunities don't come often in India, so you've got to grab them. So unfortunately, we missed this one. Um, so, yeah, this one hurts a little bit.
0: Did you hear over the weekend, just as an aside, that cricket could be added to the list of sports for the 2032 Olympics? It's now being talked about quite openly. So I think we Aussies need to get a little (laughs) little bit better if that's going to be the case.
1: Well, we like playing at home, so that's all good. (laughs) As long as 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 they're not holding any games in India, we should be okay.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Uh, And in other sports news over the weekend, the Matildas have beaten Spain for the first time ever. Ever Go, you good things. Getting up 3-2 in the Cup of Nations in Sydney on the weekend. A collection of classic kids' books by Roald Dahl. I think we've all grown up mm. reading a Roald Dahl book or two. Uh, well, they're going to be rewritten to remove words that are now deemed too offensive. So editors have gone through some of his books like Witches, The BFG, Matilda and James and the Giant. Peach, and they're deleting references to people being fat or ugly. Uh, so, Augustus Gloop in Charlie in the Chocolate Factory is now described as enormous instead of fat. <laughs> I think that's mm. still pretty insulting. <laughs> uh, Mrs. Twit is no longer fearfully ugly and Oompa Loompa's agenda neutral. So in 2021, Netflix bought the Roald Dahl story company, which manages the rights to the author's characters and stories. Look, this isn't the first time that this is being done. Mm. I know there's going to be a lot of outrage police over this, but it's just bringing it up to speed with the times. And I know, you know, I've got kids, Tom, and, and when I read them stories, I sometimes have to stop and go. Yeah, we don't really talk like this anymore or this was just, you know, a, a kind of a sign of the times of when this book was written. So it can spark conversations which can be useful, but I get it if people find it offensive. Just take it out and move on.
1: Yeah, it doesn't sit that well with me. I I mean, it's not a black and white thing. There are some things that are in those books that they they took out a long time ago. Initially in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the Oompa Loompas were described as African pygmy who Uh, had been smuggled out of Africa in crates. Mm. So they changed that, which makes a lot of sense. But I think some of these tweaks go too far. And uh, I think the conversations that you're talking about are sometimes healthy. So if things seem a bit strange, like, well, this was written some time ago, I guess at some ages that might be too too complex of a conversation to have with kids. I think it's an interesting detail you mentioned that these stories are owned by Netflix now, an American company. My hunch is that if it was still, you know, in, in British hands. They might not be so sensitive, but in America, these issues are a lot more sensitive.
0: Well, I guess it's about to be commercialised yet again. So they want to make sure that it has every chance of financial success in, uh, in every section of the audience.
1: All right. In just a moment, a very interesting conversation about connection types. Which type are you?
0: So, Tom, when we met, it was many, many years ago now when we both worked at the ABC. (laughs) Nearly 20 years ago. Yeah. I would say we clicked. I liked you. I had a good Mm. feeling about you. And that's why all those years later, when you needed a co-host on the briefing and we got back in touch again and rekindled our friendship, it's just like so easy to get along with you. But then there are other people who I swear you could not pay me enough money in the world to be in the same room with them. And I pretty much get that gut feeling off someone straight away. I just feel it. I don't like them.
1: Uh, Yeah, I think that's definitely true. Um, Sometimes it's intriguing though, isn't it? Why that is? Like, what is it that gives you that initial reaction? Is it even just bio- Chemical? I guess we won't quite answer that question today, but we are looking at the social science around this.
0: Yeah, what makes you bond easily with some people and have friction with others? And today's guest, Dr. Ali Walker, who's an Australian human connection scientist, has just written a book all about this called Click or Clash. She's breaking down the different connection types and she says it can help guide our life decisions towards belonging and away from loneliness.
1: Ali, thank you so much for joining us. Katrina and I both loved reading your book, and I think the thing that stood out to me straight off the bat was just how important connection is for our own mental health and well-being, and as your book points out, also our relationships.
2: Oh, absolutely, and I didn't realise this until I started researching in the area of human connection, but basically it's the number one predictor of our mental and physical health, but not only that, our longevity. So I think relationships have just been always something a lot of us took for granted in terms of the impact on our health, but it turns out that according to the longest-running study of adult development, it's the Harvard study from 1938, still going, It turns out that people who are thriving in their 80s attribute that thriving and that life satisfaction to the quality of their relationships. So we now have an evidence base to support the fact that our relationships are incredibly important.
0: You kind of have this metaphor where you talk about people as having plugs kind of coming out of their hearts and minds, and we're all searching for an outlet that perfectly fits our plug. Um what are the four different types of connections that broadly you've come up with?
2: In terms of belonging, there are what I call the four layers or four stages of belonging. Like you, I've been having relationships my entire life and I've just been approaching it from the wrong way. So the four stages of belonging actually start with natural belonging or what I call belonging to self, place, and animals. So I'm one of five kids. I really didn't have a lot of natural belonging growing up because being on my own wasn't really an an option most of the time. I was always surrounded by people and that was fantastic and it set me up really well for the other types of belonging. But natural belonging, belonging to ourselves is, is the foundation of all other relationships and it really actually brings home the the First Nations approach to belonging to place. And I think that's something that's really missing from a lot of uh, the way that we approach Western civilization. We don't start off with connection to place. That's the first stage, natural belonging. Then we have connecting in a one-on-one setting, then connecting in groups, And then connecting in the world, collective belonging, those unanticipated encounters that we have out in the world. It might be following a sports team or talking to someone at the dog park. Those encounters are actually incredibly important for our mental health as well.
1: Okay. So these four categories, you're calling them categories of belonging. How does Mm -hmm. belonging relate to connection? What's the difference or similarity?
2: It's a little bit like the the first movie of Avatar when they had the tails that they could connect with each other. If you imagine that you've almost got these plugs coming out of your your gut, your heart, and your mind, the gut is looking for safety, both physical and psychological safety. Am I safe here? Then the heart is looking for, for being welcomed. And then the brain is actually looking for novelty, stimulation, interest, curiosity. So, Whenever we go into a new place, a new group, meet a new person, we're plugging in to see what that connection feels like. Now, depending on the quality or type of connection, we will either experience belonging or we will experience loneliness. And loneliness is actually just the gap between what you want to experience and what you are experiencing. Mm. And so a lot of people Correlate loneliness with aloneness. But in fact, if you're doing natural belonging well, you're not lonely when you're alone. You're experiencing solitude. So loneliness is just simply a gap between what we want to experience and what we are experiencing.
0: You talk about the different types of clicks and clashes. And I guess we'll begin with the clicks. There are um, things like intuitive clicks and instant clicks. Can you just describe for us how that all happens?
2: yeah, so we we have the same types of clicks and the same types of clashes. so instant, intuitive, and intimate. So you can have an instant click or clash an intuitive click or clash or an intimate click or clash. Now, an instant click or clash is first impression, you meet someone, you immediately feel comfortable and warm in their presence. It just feels easy and you want to be there for longer. That's the instant click. Now, the instant clash is like trying to light a wet match. So, you know, when you are in a social situation, you might meet someone for the first time and immediately, so you plug in and you think, oh, this is just hard work. <laughs> it might not be that you have a negative reaction. It's just a you don't feel feel energized by the connection. So that's the instant click or clash. And then you have the intuitive click or clash. Intuitive is much more about deepening your connection with someone. You want to be friends with this person. It might be the coworker who you really click with and you want to seek out their company. The person who you speak to after the meeting, the person who who you have more intimate chats with. That's the intuitive click. Now, the intuitive clash is when somebody gets under your skin and they're the person who you are there thinking, why did they say that? I can't believe that, you know, that that sense of outrage that someone might give you. Now, an intuitive clash is really interesting because why is this person... Triggering you when you don't actually necessarily feel like you have a connection with them. And I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but typically an intuitive clash is when someone is acting out a quality in us that we either haven't come to terms with or we don't like very much in ourselves, but they're acting it out in an exaggerated (laughs) way. It's not necessarily a mirror of us, but it's an exaggerated form of a trait we don't like in ourselves. Um, so we sort of tend to project that onto this person who's annoying us. And then to wrap up, intimate clicks and clashes are really interesting because an intimate click is is actually wanting to partner with someone. And the intimate clash is when another person, you know, where the love relationship turns into the love-hate relationship and it becomes very, very involved. But it just explains why we go out into the world and have such different responses to people. I've tried to create almost a a systematic or a scientific approach to compatibility rather than just us all feeling like we're pinballs in a pinball machine being dropped into the world and and constantly ricocheting around responding to the, the people we meet.
1: So to help understand those clicks or clashes, you also set out this model of different connection types. And there are two main variables that determine your connection type. One is connection frequency, how often you like to connect and how much, and then intensity, the way you like to connect. Can you explain what those are? But firstly, can you answer, is that the key driver of whether you click or clash with someone?
2: So the connection type model basically identifies for you what it's like to be in a relationship with you and the emotional energy you bring to relationships and groups and teams. Now, through that external self-awareness it's called. So through the awareness of understanding the emotional energy that you carry in a relationship, you can then identify who you are compatible with. Now you described it so beautifully that the two key elements of human connection are frequency or how much connection you like and intensity, what type of connection you like. So frequency is just do you seek out human connection for more than half the time, around half the time, or less than half the time. Now, based on an answer to that question, you'll know whether you are low, mid or high frequency. You can tell pretty easily whether someone's high, mid or low frequency, just through the amount of human connection they they seek out. So it basically means, do you feel most like yourself in the company of other people or most like yourself when you're on your own? And And it actually comes back to our earliest experiences of of family systems and cultural systems. Do you have your belonging needs met through human connection or through being on your own? So it goes back to those four stages of belonging. We'll need all of those four stages in different proportions, depending on the earliest experiences of systems we had. So that's how much connection you need. That's frequency. The other element is intensity. What type of connection? Now, you meet a whole range of people. Some people connect through talking, through engaged conversation, through sharing their thoughts and ideas and really, you know, eyeballing you and making eye contact and getting into that conversation. That's high intensity, whereas some people are low intensity and they just want shared positive experience over time. They they don't want pressure to talk. They might want to go and see a movie or go fishing or go to the gym, go surfing together. And we see this huge range of the way that we like to connect. So when we go out into the world, what we're looking for is a match or a mirror of our connection needs. So you probably can see I'm high frequency. I connect through human connection and talking. So I go out into the world looking for people who mirror my connection type, because if they have the same connection type as me, we're going to be able to meet each other's connection needs. And that's what all of us do.
1: So that's Dr. Ali Walker. We'll end the chat there and pick it up tomorrow. I find it so interesting and I think it's great, Katrina, to have a model for understanding our connection type and what types of belonging we need to feel connected. But the more we sort of talk there with Ali, I was thinking, I think connection type's an important reason why we click or clash with people. But I'm not sure if it's all of it because it's often just the start, right? If you can connect, that's good. But if the, the things that comes out of that person's mouth or the things they do uh, are things you, you really don't agree with, that's going to determine whether you really like them or not in the long run.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. What this has done for me, I guess, is I'm a, sadly one of those people who wants everyone to like them. <laughs> And sometimes when people don't like me, I've taken it really, really personally. So this book, I think, is useful for taking the personal out of it and going, you know what? We just don't connect. We, it's just science. So I think that is very useful.
1: Mm. All right. Well, tomorrow I'll I'll voice my concerns and queries. Put that in a challenge to Ali as we continue the conversation.
0: listener